So we are here again with Laura Dodson for part two, a continuation of our conversation uh, on the Self-Connection podcast. And Laura, again, is going to lead us in a grounding meditation to help us connect to ourselves um, and with each other. So Laura, I'll leave it to you now. All right. So allow the chair or wherever you're sitting to hold you up. Take a deep breath and let go of your body and feel it being supported and held up. And with another deep breath, let go a little more to bring yourself to this moment at this time and allow yourself to set anything that you've been thinking before or doing before on a shelf and promise yourself that you'll get back to it later. So you can bring yourself fully to this moment at this time. You'll never have this moment at this time again. And to show up is the greatest gift you can give yourself. And so take another breath. And feel your surroundings around you. Feel where the light comes in on your face. Feel the room space that you're in. Feel the presence of others around you. Feel the time of day and the sounds and allow yourself to be fully in this moment. And connect yourself to the energies of the heavens above, those energies that are there available to us all the time when we open our breathing and our presence to connect with them. The great self is always there to connect with the self within. So find yourself now connecting to the energies above, to the energies of the earth, and to the energies on this plane around you of the objects, the people, the things, the air, the season around you. And bringing all those energies into your being, gently open your eyes and come to this moment in the presence of whomever you are with at this moment. Thank you, Laura. Mm -hmm. So before we started recording, we were talking about uh, the word that you used in the first podcast, which was zap. And I misunderstood what you meant. And you were talking about some experiences of insight that you had in your own growth and learning. And um, I think for today, I'm going to ask you to describe and illustrate that with some experiences of your own, what ZAP means to you. And I think to unpack sort of our, our larger topic, which is what conscious transformation is, what it means to go through this transformational change and how increasing our awareness and our connection to what I think you're calling the greater self or life energy helps us do that. So could I ask you to, to uh, begin to explain a little bit more what you mean by ZAP and your own experiences with it? Yes, you can. Uh, you know, um... My image is that the, the life force, as Virginia called it, uh, the, which I, you can also call 
energy with a capital E, mm -hmm. or you can call self with a capital S. And some people call it God. Uh, but this energy or Buddha, but this energy is available to us. And there's moments of breakthrough from that energy to the little self within us or the small E energy within us. Mm -hmm. It's not something we ask for at the moment. It's something that usually comes by surprise. Um, and it, I think of it as, um, well, my, my, um, Yuri Gippenreiter, my Russian friend, psychologist, says uh, it's being on the golden thread. Mm. So it's like a connection on the golden thread of life energy between yourself and the greater energy. Mm -hmm. And my key example was at a time of mourning just shortly after my first husband had died at the age of 41. And I was sitting at a table in the kitchen and the sun was coming in through a window on my face, but it was a beam of light. And I was just sitting there uh, sort of trying to contain where I was and experience where I was in suffering. And in the beam of light came the voice, an audible zap that said, the form is not the essence. Mm -hmm. Well, it, and, uh, to me, at that moment, it meant that the form and the bodily presence of George, my husband, uh, was not the essence of George, and that he, in a way, his energy was with me. And yes, it was so true. I saw him, I heard him, he laughed at me at wonderful times when I needed his humor. Uh, and so his essence was there. And this form is not the essence has carried me, been with me all through life because it's applicable to so many situations. It's like a performance of the essence was like a, a message from the great energy to the energy within me, from the life force to my life energy. Or you could say from energy with a capital E to the small E within me, or the self with a capital S to the little self within me. Uh, and when I ask people in audiences around the world, if they've had that experience of a zap of clarity and energy from uh, the great life force to themselves, I would say two thirds of the audience immediately raises their hands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did that come through? Yeah, that was good. And mm -hmm. so um, are there things like, in in your own life experience, it it seemed like this this zap, this audible zap experience, um, the form is not the essence. It was a comfort to you. It was like a teacher to you. Um, what what impact did it have on you? That was an audible zap. Their energy that comes from a higher life force to oneself could be in an audible form. Could be just a uh, some clarity that happens internally, uh, but one feels it as something far greater than oneself. Mm -hmm. What in your in your experience, who I mean, two thirds of people is a lot of people. Like, is, are there things that people can do to cultivate more of these kinds of experiences, or or do I they think just it's have a matter of listening? That's all we can do. 
like in the meditation, we connected ourselves to the energy above and the energy of this earth. So being open mm. to what what Jung would call the third. He, Jung spoke of that like in a session with a client. There's you and the client, but there's the third energy present, the life force energy pleasant present. And so as you're working with the client, you stay open for the third, for the life force energy to come in. Just the awareness that it's there. Mm. Uh, I think it happens all the time, but being awake and paying attention is what we can do to help it convey itself. Mm. I, I had an experience that, that an insight came to me that sounds similar to what you're saying. Um, I had done a, a session of something called holotropic breathwork. Have you heard of this? Yes. yes, this is from Stanislav Grof's work. Um, he is a researcher yes. that did work with psychedelics in, I think, the 50s and 60s, and then it was criminalized. Or, or I think forcing to know him and yeah. to study with him when I was living in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. And he, he was doing a uh, experiment that was funded by NIH at, at NIH with people who were dying. Yeah. Uh, and he would give them LSD and also give it to the family around them so that they could be open together to this energy wow. experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so in my experience um, of doing this breath work, it's a specific breathing technique and you, you know, you have support from someone who's holding the space for you. Um, I had this vision of many different eyeballs coming at me, like animal eyeballs, human eyeballs kind of coming towards me. And was this it last... frightening? No, it was quite comforting, actually. Um, and ah. I didn't, I couldn't quite make any sense of it. But then as that moment ended, the, the words, um, the eye sees, but it is not what it sees. So the eye sees, but it is not what it sees. And it's similar to, I think, what you're saying, the form is not the essence. The eye yes. picks up things and projects images and on onto the retina, but the eye, the energy of what the eye is doing of perceiving, just because you're seeing something, even a, a, a tra trauma, does not mean you are your traumatic experience or you're feeling something. Consciousness is experiencing yeah. something. You are not that thing. The essence is is it's, it transcends the form. So that was very comforting to me. Yeah. And I would say it's far greater than an insight. It's like a profound knowing, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. usually in a symbolic way. Because mm -hmm. I think the language of the unconscious, of the great unconscious, is in symbols. Yeah. And these things come through you to you symbolically. Well, that, that reminds me of something that Carl Jung said in an interview that was kind of controversial. Someone, an interviewer asked him, do you believe in God? And he says, I don't believe, I know. And yes. and then when he clarified that, what he meant was, well, as he explained it, he says, I don't need to believe because if I believe, that means I have no basis for what I actually say that I experience. But because I've had this experience, it's more of a knowing. And I think it is, it is important for us to know our essence, to know our life energy, to know our worth. I think in a similar way, your knowing of your connection and your uh, experience, your knowing of uh, George's essence is what 
gave you comfort. It's a knowing, not a not a belief or um, an act right. of faith necessarily. At least that's a how deep it seems. Experience, yeah, it's a deep yeah. knowing. Yeah, early knowing experience, knowing in every cell of your being. Right, right, yeah, and I think those. I mean, so can we transition because I think when you described before we started recording when you described the way that virginia worked you could see her essence the way of what she was what she was doing and how she was working although the the form of the language around it came later um maybe in speaking about transformational change um so so what i'm wondering is how could you relate zap experiences the these experiences of knowing of the great life force of essence with transformational change like is is that in, an important ingredient or an aspect of transformational change these these experiences that you're calling zap well i think uh they are definitely and in the you know the circle that i drew of transformational change is something that I arrived at after a lot of study with Virginia and with Carl Jung, with Carl Jung's work. I mm -hmm. arrived in Zurich uh, maybe uh, 17 years after he died. Okay. Uh, but I studied with people who were very close to him. But at any rate, this circle evolved. And the bottom of the circle is, a, um, is about Zap. The bottom of the circle is way back onto movement and transformation after we fall off onto our coping mechanisms. And uh, it is, I describe it as experience of light. Um, it's, um, and it's not exactly come in a zap. It could come in an insight, which is a smaller form of a zap. Mm -hmm. uh, where, but it's when we see something from a totally different angle, uh, when we're stuck in a place mm -hmm. where we can't see where we are, where we're going, and suddenly some light comes in and we can see things from a different angle, then there is the hope of being able to move back on the circle of transformation. Is that say something to you is that clear yeah no i think um the the shift in perspective it, it makes me think about the the kind of more recent research because psychedelics are coming back as a a mode of therapeutic intervention especially for dealing with ptsd trauma um, end-of-life anxiety um, addiction and the the experience and i think the engagement of the whole brain, particularly the prefrontal cortex, which is a shift, the ability to re-experience that experience, but from a totally different vantage point, mm -hmm. a 360 degree, where you're able to move through all of that, the emotions, the physicality, the the, the cognition, all the different elements of of the forms of consciousness, say, and and I think when you have that kind of that what what I think you're describing as a a flash, a zap experience where the whole body is, every cell is engaged. That's the, I guess, window into um, re-energizing or, or reconstituting the memory or reconstituting your personality in such a way or your, your behavior choices 
so that there's, I guess, freedom again, rather than being stuck in a set That's pattern. It. Freedom again, there's freedom, freedom to move and change. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, this may be a sideline that you don't want to put on the tape, but when I was in Zurich, I had the good fortune uh, to work with Ian Baker, who was a young Ian analyst, and he was doing some research at the mental hospital where Carl Jung worked and gave some examples in his autobiography and in other places uh, about things that happened there. Um, but this experiment was uh, with young people who had had a psychotic break after using LSD and are, are having a psychedelic experience. And in the work that we did at the hospital, we gave the people LSD again, and we guided them back to the experience that had um, been a uh, uh, an part of the experience that left them feeling crazy. And uh, we had them talk to that experience. And uh, uh, like in, in uh, Fritz Perl's work, but talk to that experience, let it know that it can't dominate them. Let it know that maybe it has to go back on the shelf until they're older. Take charge of it. Mm. And so after these experiences, uh, often the young people were uh, no longer psychotic when they came back out. Mm -hmm. So it's revisiting the uh, material that uh, drove them into a psychosis through taking LSD again. Mm. Uh, so taking yeah. charge is the thing. It's when we lose charge of what's happening to us. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think some like what what would cause a psychotic break is some kind of immensely overwhelming traumatic experience that is beyond beyond our our ability to make sense of it and to conceptualize yes. it and to integrate it so right. what what that makes me think of and, and i wonder if this is worth talking about is as i've been trained within the satire model i've been taught what's called the iceberg metaphor and the ice within the iceberg metaphor um, you have behavior you have feelings feelings about feelings perceptions expectations yearnings and then the self um and when i think about um clients that i've worked with that one one person in particular talked to me about when he was in this deep dark depression i worked with him for years and he finally came out of it was able to return to school re have friends date and he was doing really well he said when i was really depressed i felt like i was frozen and it made me rethink the metaphor that um, what is healthy is the fluidity of water and that yeah, when we're right. stuck that's when we're we're in an iceberg and so i didn't i, I like using the iceberg metaphor as a way of looking at the whole experience that is stuck but not as a place to go it's just it's like i even think of the coping stances that virginia created of blaming with a finger pointing those physical stances as that's what you would see on the surface, but but what is underneath all of that is an iceberg. So the person in the posture of blame sits on top of a huge block of ice because their perceptions are frozen. The meaning making is frozen. It's all one thing and therefore not much choice to be made. So what what is the 
uh, connection of the the uh, the core self with let's say life energy or the large s self it's the ability to melt that those rigid patterns and to reuse or to use that energy in a different way to connect with other people and to to have that perceptual shift that knowing shift that we're talking about that hits every cell of our body in a way where we're really deeply learning something new and i think the way that virginia incorporated the whole body and feelings and thoughts and everything that she could connect to is what allowed her to have such great results with people um and and i think so we're i think we're starting to talk about that about how how important that is but i think um transforming the metaphor itself by bringing in the relationship between ice and water is a way to make it dynamic again because i think if you're only looking at form then you, you lose the essence of it so yeah. yeah and i think of consciousness as as like water that if if your consciousness is flowing then whatever the experience comes up you can integrate it because you're you're flowing you're trying to flow with it it's the fluidity that makes for creativity mm -hmm. or makes for possibility of change for choice yeah uh, and choice is really the key in virginia's work uh, the ability to have choice and that's fluidity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you, you spoke uh, when i asked you what what um helps bring about these zap experiences and you said openness like meditation the the ability to listen for it and notice when it happens and uh, that makes me think of the process of awareness of of self-awareness mm -hmm. as being a, a very important first step i think even before getting to making a choice it's it's opening up that perspective perceptual shift um can you speak to the relationship between or awareness in your in your conception or the way that you think about change and growth um yeah how what role does awareness have and, and how do you how do you help people move through that that part you of, know forever how much awareness we have it doesn't have to be huge but just grab on to whatever awareness one has mm. and in virginia's way of thinking then the next step is to communicate it which is not uh, necessarily a part of, of a, a, an analytic approach. Uh, well, you do communicate it to your analysts, but when you can communicate it and say more and more clearly what it is you're aware of, then the next step that happens is whatever action you have is enhanced. The quality of it is enhanced by the awareness you had and the communication. Mm. And then it goes back in cycles over and over again. We're back to awareness and a little bit more awareness and we communicate that. And then the quality of our action is great, more greater enhanced. There's more enhancement. And can so you give an example of that, Laura, an example of going through that cycle? Can you illustrate that? Um, with yeah, an let me see. Let me think a minute. Well, you know, often when, uh, when I'm working with someone who really has been operating uh, with not much flexibility and in a very small range of possibilities, uh, they gain a little bit of insight and are very excited about it. And uh, so it may just be like, maybe that's not what my husband meant. Maybe he meant this or that. Mm -hmm. So extending the possibilities of, of what she heard 
and then uh, with that ex extending of the possibilities, she can, her awareness is increased, she communicates about it, and then the possible way she looks at who this man is and what he means. So how, how do you differentiate between communication and action? Because I could see how communicating something could be the action. So is, what's the difference between that the level of communication and action? Well, to, to communicate that to me is one step, or to herself is one step. Right. But then right. the action comes, and she carries that new insight and puts it in action with her husband. Okay, so you're talking about expressing it as as the step after awareness so that it's right it's like from... we bring it up from the feeling tone into words so it comes into our mind as well into our to our feeling and then it becomes more usable in life mm -hmm. i re i recall like yeah go ahead i recall that um in in family sessions that virginia would do she would often encourage someone to really try to get to the bottom of what they were trying to express. And she wouldn't go to the next person and say, well, how are you responding to what she just said? She would stay right. with that person and say, how is it exactly. for you to say that? Um, right. Is that, is that what you mean? Like that That's sorts... an example of bringing that uh, uh, awareness she had to greater consciousness and then getting it clearer and clearer and getting it into words more clearly before she's ready to communicate it or to put it into action with her with her spouse. Mm -hmm. Because I think so. So let's think of a concrete example. Let's say that um, you know you're working with a, a couple, and um, the 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 wife is trying to say something about how she was really hurt because her husband wasn't as supportive of her, let's say her reha rehabilitation. Maybe she's going through, she had a heart attack and she needs some uh, some more attention or more support around the house. And she's hesitant to say that, but the, the, the person supporting that communication, a therapist is saying, well, just try to get to how you're feeling about it. How, how are you, what do you want to say? And, and maybe she expresses something like, uh, I'm really sad or I'm really disappointed that um, yes. You don't know how important this is for me, or how much I need your help right now. To then, to, so so to have that come out, um, to to sort of communicate it. What are some of the things that come up for people in terms of their resistance or their family rules? Uh, maybe yeah. you can illustrate that because it doesn't just come out and you're done, right? There's right. no, it doesn't. I think she would take it down another step uh, to longings. And so she would help the person to see, I'm really longing to be seen and heard and understood. Right. And she might relate it more to the family rules that uh, these longings cannot be spoken about yes. uh, in this family. And that I've learned uh, not to speak about what I am yearning for and longing for, what I feel I need. And so that's an old learning. Now, if we write, rewrite that rule, and then she might have the person actually rewrite it on a piece of paper. The paper might say, when I have longings, yearnings, needs, I can't speak about them or ask for them. Then she would cross out the I can't and put the person would put in a new rule that she would make about what she would do when she felt longings and needs and yearnings.
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that in that way, you transform the family rules so that she then can talk to him about what she's needing and what she's longing for. Mm-hmm. And in that in that kind of process and that kind of communication, what and and people are changing their beliefs or changing their family yeah. rules, the things that their that, mode of behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that iceberg as we were talking about that patternized behavior Little. pattern. What, mm-hmm. what is important in terms of the support from a friend or from a therapist to help people move into this, these, new, these new choices? What, what's important in that, do you think? You know, a very old thing in social work was about lending your ego. Mm. Uh, and I, I still like the phrase. It's a very old one. I can't remember. It's Perlman, I think was the author of that, but that's what the therapist does. It it helps that person to incorporate that new belief into their ego by uh, supporting them and stroking them and helping them to see it's okay. Uh, So that's the role of the therapist at that point. Mm -hmm. But how do they do that? How does, how does like anyone do that? So not just within the role of therapist, but let's say, a parent is trying to help their child uh, not be so scared of the dark or to try swimming for the first time. You know, there's a similar kind of moving through something. Um, what what is the, what is the energy or the essence in that in that person that's helping lead or help encourage that that helps them move into something new? That's trying to encourage them. Is that what you're asking? Well, anyone, I, I want to generalize it because I think we're we're all at certain points. Not there, but the person who's encouraging. Yeah. The person who's helping. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I think that person is affirming their new learning. Mm-hmm. And supportive of their new learning and supportive of taking the risk to practice. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think the idea of... of taking risks and going into the unknown um, is something that is, um, it's a place, right? Like when you were mourning the loss of your first husband, you were in the unknown and, um, uh, you know, who knows, like a lot of feelings perhaps of fear, of chaos and and all of that. Um, And, but this Zap experience came out of nowhere. Like, I wonder, when when we look at your and I'm going to post this um, as part of it the chart the flow chart or sort of the circular chart of the transformational change, um, what were you in sort of a what phase were you in of this process that you had this um, the zap experience? You mean what was going on with me internally? Well, you know, where you have where you have crisis, liminality, oh, sort of being in coping, in coping sense. Where were you in that in that in in your own process that you had this zap experience? Well, let's see. I think the crisis had passed. I think my coping was just well. I was in the chaos, the chaos of and the confusion, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe the the coping was just kind of hanging on, uh, closing down a little bit. No more, no more tragedy right now. Nothing okay. else. 
so like maybe withdrawn withdrawing a bit and um... uh, yeah, just kind of trying to hold make hold some status quo again mm -hmm. so that nothing else terrible would happen the next moment mm -hmm. i couldn't take anything else yeah. so i was uh trying to hold things still but m most of all i think i was in the the chaos of it uh, and coping by just kind of holding still. Yeah, yeah. Do you, can you think of anything that you were doing to keep yourself open enough to listen and to catch this zap experience? Was there anything that... Yeah. Well, every, every day during that time, every moment, I really didn't know what to do. And so I had a Zen cushion and I sat on that cushion and looked at the wall and the plaster of the wall. There was a an indention that extended further out than the others. And I would just look at that and ask, what shall I do now? And when I get a message, I'd get up and do it, wash the dishes, whatever it was. And then I'd come back and meditate again. So I was in that constant state of asking for guidance. Right. That's that requires so much trust, Laura, to be able to to do that, to have um, a trust in that which is beyond your ego mind, the the knowing of this is what I should do, all the prescriptions mm -hmm. of things, to to let go and to trust that you are going to get the messages you needed day by day to cope with all that you were going through um, seems to be uh, an important part of, of this kind of process, the the listening and, and trusting that even though it's not clear that something will, will come to you. Can you speak to like your experience of trust in the tra transformational process and how important that is? Well, I don't know if it was trust. I, I had nothing in me to guide me. I, I'd been knocked down. It felt mm. as far as I could go. Right. And so I didn't feel like I had any resources to even make the smallest decision. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe we have to be pretty desperate before we turn to the great energy. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, being in these these dark places, which I've I've come to appreciate more and more as the greatest place for growth and learning. Yes. Um, and Through the darkness you come to light. This is a, a very basic idea of Carl Jung. Yeah, it's through the darkness that we find light. And I had uh, not been back from Zurich that long, and uh, meditation was a big part of my life, and keeping count of my dreams was a big part of my life. Mm. Uh, so, yes, I did have some resources that gave me faith in something some energy greater than myself yeah but it sounds like you were you were doing this psychological work or this connection work meditation uh and that when you were at your low point there was you were able to access it even though you were so depleted it, you know mm -hmm. i uh, for for someone that is really stuck in a particular pattern that is quite unaware or unconscious, um, maybe those experiences would come, but they wouldn't be meaningful because they had not been in the practice of it. And it makes me think of exercise, how, you know, exercising builds a resilience in the body 
so that you know when someone's in a car accident, they're you know they're able to to survive it in a way that you know if, if someone wasn't aware of their body or connected in that way, um, you know there's more rigidity or there's less resilience. You know, I'd had a few extremely powerful dreams that had uh, that were certainly gifts from a higher energy. Uh, I'd had some in Zurich, so I had had several profound experiences of being connected with a great energy. Even though I felt I'd lost my way at that moment, I had had many powerful experiences in the last three or four years before that, uh, since I'd been to Zurich. Do you want to hear about that? Yes, yes. Sorry, you just you, there was a moment where you froze out a bit, and I was just hoping they would clarify. Could you share one of these dreams as a, as a, to illustrate this? Uh, one of my well, I'd like to share one of my dreams about George, but first I'd like okay, to share sure. a dream I had it, had in Zurich. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, there was some rigid aspects of Zurich at the time I was there. There was a, a belief that group therapy was not something Carl Jung did. And even though I'd been there to kind of teach group therapy, mm -hmm. that was part of the scholarship I got. Uh, it, wasn't re it wasn't received. And I, there was a kind of rigidity about being careful to follow exactly what Carl Jung said. He died about 62, I think, and I was there in 71. Mm -hmm. Well. Uh, I had a dream that on top of my little Volkswagen, there was a huge crane and it was called a Guggenbill crane. <laughs> well, Guggenbill Craig was the director of the, the uh, Young Institute at that time. And this, this huge crane was crushing my Volkswagen. Mm. And my Volkswagen was kind of a symbol of my uh, spontaneity and playfulness. Uh, and so it helped me to see uh, see what uh, an attitude that I needed to have about this rigidity that was at the Young Institute at that time. Mm -hmm. And then I also had a dream about going in to see an analyst and there were curtains, beautiful lace curtains uh, over the doorway into his office. And, and that's how I found my analyst. I was looking around and I went into a waiting room and there was uh, the lace curtain across the doorway. So things like that happen. Is that an but, example, is, Laura, is that an example of synchronicity, that connection between what you saw in the dream and then something in the outer world? Synchronicity? Yes, I, uh, synchronicity, yes, I, I would say so. Uh, but mainly it was like a gift in a dream that was an image from the unconscious. That's how I would see it mostly. Mm -hmm. but before George died, I had a profound dream in which um, I was um, I was at Zion Canyon. Uh, Zion, notice that uh, Zion, like heavens or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, and it was a place that. George and I often hiked, and I'm on top of a pinnacle, a high pinnacle in this canyon. It's very narrow, and above me is an airplane, 
that has a trail going behind it. No. Has a has a a banner that it's pulling, and the banner says um, "Senate Committee on Aging," which is what George worked for, and he's on this jet again? plane. City com- Senate Committee on Aging, the United States Senate Committee on Aging. Okay. And George was working for that committee. Senator Church was the head of the committee, and he was working for that committee for a new legislation around handicaps of elderly people. Mm-hmm. So anyway, here here he is. He's supposed to get off of this jet plane, and he's supposed to get off of it by a rope ladder that comes down, and he's supposed to come to it to where I am. Well, it's an extremely difficult task, but he manages it. He gets off of the airplane and he gets down to where I am. And on top of this pinnacle, we kind of dance around each other and he falls off the pinnacle and he dies. Well, in reality, um, I was in Denver uh, because our home had been, uh, uh, that we had been rented, rent that we had rented was vacant again and I was cleaning it up and George was thinking about coming back to Denver because the Senate Committee on Aging was a very high-pressured job. So he was thinking about getting off that plane, uh, Senate Committee on Aging. Right. And he came to Denver looking for a job. He had an interview slated with the governor of our state uh, about working. So when he arrived at the airport, we did, in fact, dance around each other. We went out to eat and uh, with some friends. And when we came home that night, in the night, George had a break in an aneurysm that rendered him unconscious and flooded his brain with blood. And from that, he died. Uh, so it's it's like the dream. Well, what happened after? Uh, what happened is that indeed he uh, came to. Denver on an airplane. I was already there. I met him at the airport. We danced around each other and uh, we went to dinner. And after dinner, when we went home to the house we had rented, uh, in the night he had a break in an aneurysm, which is a main communicating artery to his brain. And it just flooded his brain with blood and it is the cause of his death. Uh, So the the happening was so much like the dream, and I would call it a foretelling dream. We do have dreams that foretell what's going to happen. Sometimes they're dreams that are for a community, not just for an individual that will foretell what's going to happen with the community. But this was a foretelling dream, and I didn't even remember it. I read it after he died and thought, oh, this is amazing that it was foretelling what happened. You read what? What did you read after? I read, read my dream that I wrote down. Oh, you didn't make the connection until you read it about, you read, reread That's the dream. Right. That's oh. right. I've, I've always been interested in dreams, but I, I have not, like, I've not done analysis with, like, uh, with a, a young analyst, and, and I think I would like to, but I, I watch my dreams a lot, and I'm so curious about your experiences with dreams and um, I don't know, I, I feel like I want to ask the question of like, why why do you think, for example, the foretelling dream, like why, why do you think we have a consciousness that can do that? Like, 
Well, you know, there are levels of consciousness. There's the repressed material that we have that's in the unconscious. There's um, the collective unconscious. It's kind of like the wisdom of all humankind. Mm -hmm. And then there is the connection of the little self to the great self, the consciousness of all things uh, that is present in us. We have the ability to see everything you know except if we did uh it would flood us with maybe too much of light mm -hmm. i have a dear friend uh his name is kenneth bolding he is a a quaker as i am a quaker and he is an economist he wrote the economics of peace but he also wrote a poem in which he said thank you god for remaining veiled for if I could see you more clearly, I would be in constant prayer. And there's work to be done in the world. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's humorous and wonderful. Because if we could see more light, then we would just constantly be wanting to be bathed in that light. Right. And there is work to be done in the world. Mm. That's beautiful. But we have those moments of flooding of light. And that was a dream that flooded me with the light of what was actually happening. But I couldn't even contain it. I didn't remember it when George died. When you when I you read it when you read it in your journal again, what did you feel about it? I felt uh, that it was amazing that the depth of our unconscious, there is a knowing about everything. So did it give you a sense of peace then? Yes. Yeah. That we're connected. We are so connected to universal truths deep within us. Yes, I'm a part of the universe. I'm not an isolated being in my body. Sometimes mm. I transcend my body and I'm connected to the universal truths. So would you say that this dream was an example of a zap experience? Uh, well, not really. It came in the form of a dream. Uh, a zap is a waking experience, as I describe it, where you suddenly feel the connection with light and uh, with deeper knowing than you've known before that moment. Uh, it's a conscious experience, a waking experience. Mm -hmm. This is a foretelling dream. But I wonder if if there was something like that in the rereading of your dream after his death. Um, I guess I'm I'm trying to understand what significance this dream had in your life when you saw it again. Like what? How did it affect you? It deepened my belief in the realms of the unconscious. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important thing to talk about because I, I think I think we're so rational in our society, so so meaning to be conscious about everything that even in our therapy, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy, there's not enough there's not much talk about the unconscious. There's talk of feelings which are a step in that direction, but not in the way of what you're talking about, the 
the use and appreciation of dreams, um, of of connecting to this uh, greater life force, or even appreciating uh, the collective unconscious and trying to connect to that. So, could you could you speak to to that of how you know in in our in your analysis or observation of our culture, how if we are in fact disconnected from um, the, the value of the unconscious and why that is? Well, I, I first want to say that there is a place for the kind of therapies that you were speaking about. Mm-hmm, and maybe a, um, a limitation of analytic behavior, analytic therapy is that sometimes we need to act and it doesn't focus on us on action when we need to act. Mm-hmm. If there's a fire, we need to put it out. Right. Uh, and uh, sometimes analysis uh, misses that. But when we're with another person, uh, we can be aware that there are fields of energy around us. And this is the reason I think Virginia begins to connect with another person by first connecting with the energies above and the energies below and the energies on this plane because as you look in the eyes of that that other person all those other energies are also present around us Mm -hmm. and so while I'm here with you looking into your eyes and being present with you uh, I want to be totally present but sort of have a peripheral vision of energy systems far beyond us that carry all the wisdoms around us that are much wiser than what's happening between you and me at this moment in time. There's the wisdom of all the ages. There's uh, the wisdom uh, that's above and below and on this plane. It's far beyond what you and I have. And so we just want to be aware that it's there and present, uh, while at the same time being very present with you at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful way to be in that state of being. Because the world gets bigger and the possibilities get bigger. Right. Yeah. Often I'm I'm talking with clients that are lost in the routines and the roles of their lives, the the conscious things that they're doing, and yeah. they yearn to be connected to a state of being that sounds like what you're describing. The the, mm-hmm. the many systems, like you know, I, I remember working with a woman who was uh, pregnant and and about to give birth. And she had a lot of anxieties about things. And one of the meditations that I would encourage her uh, and guide her with was just being aware of all the things, all the systems of the bodies that are taking care of her without her conscious control, the heart beating, the circulatory system, her digestion, her immune system, uh, her, her entire nervous system, both parasympathetic and sympathetic. So, there was something reassuring in, in that, even within the body alone. But um, I think being aware and trusting that wisdom is can be comforting. I guess I'd like to hear more about what you meant when when you talk about we could be more, we could have a deeper relationship. I guess that's the theme. We could have a deeper relationship with our unconscious, one by listening to dreams, um, and and I'd like to know how we can encourage people to one why value the unconscious what what role it plays and how people can can listen more 
to that realm. Yeah, you're thinking now about speaking with a person who just doesn't value that realm at all and who's here in the moment but just isn't interested in this other realm. Well, I mean, as in the ways that you're describing it, for example, um, a foretelling dream, the collective unconscious, I, I don't think it's everyone is aware of, of these different realms. So I think educating educating me and helping me understand these different layers uh, gets me curious and, and excited to learn more and, um, and to invest, do my own investigating. Um, but if you were like, what's the value of someone's relationships or in someone's state of mental health of having a connection to the unconscious? Is it necessary even? Well, we can make our decisions in life based on what we know at the moment. Uh, but we can know everything. We can know much more than we know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I would just, I, I don't know, we, we're not here talking just about therapy and being in the office, but that's the example that comes to mind right now is I would just encourage a person to keep a, a light or maybe a lighted pen by their bed if they're in bed with somebody else and uh, and an open book and before they even get up to pee or do anything else they write down at least key words if they can't write down the whole dream and then come back and write down the whole dream just as a, a little exercise to play with uh, mm. even if they don't believe in it and gradually if they get down a full dream and we begin to work with it uh, they will see something there that's useful to them. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a matter of getting them to pay enough attention to get it down. They, those dreams, those, so, so it come from a slip of the tongue, uh, this idea of a greater insight. Uh, it could become, it could come from um, uh, sort of a free association that the person would have at the moment. Uh, but I'm looking for some way in a little deeper to the person. So I have some guidance about how to work with them. I guess as we're, as we're talking about change and growth, um, is there anything that you want to kind of extend on themes we've already touched upon about how people can grow and change and use their psyche using both their conscious mind and their unconscious to grow themselves? and to feel more alive or more connected in the world. Um, is there any sort of other ideas that you want to explore today? Well, I have an idea and maybe it speaks directly to what you're saying, maybe not. It's about suffering. Uh, we, we tend to get judgments about feeling states and say suffering is bad, joy is good, happiness is good. Yeah. Well, I don't think so. I think we have many states of being and the the good part comes when you can be with whatever state is mm -hmm. uh, with no judgment and yeah. so maybe that's why i uh, i i have pain in rheumatoid arthritis i had pain when george died but i don't think of myself i can have uh, suffering through pain but suffering or not is not the issue the issue is being with whatever um, state one is in 
and breathing with it and moving through it because all all feeling states are fluid. Mm. So we want to keep with the fluidity, but we don't want to block off any one state. We want to be aware of what state it is. I think this is a big piece in growth. It's not mm. to judge our states of being as good or bad, but to be with them, flow with them, and go with them, see what happens next. Be curious about them. And and it reminds me of Virginia's famous quote of, the problem isn't the problem. The problem is the coping with the problem. And and I loved what you just said, which is the, the feelings are fluid, but it's the coping, how we cope with the feelings that make us then rigid. So right. to, f- to flow with it. To... How we judge them as bad or good, wrong yes. or bad. Yes, yeah. to to reject them, our, our attitude towards them, uh, our rules about not feeling certain things and certainly not expressing them in relationship, uh, then then gets that energy, those feelings uh, stuck. Are there other things that people could do or practice, start to practice in their own lives or in their uh, relationships with others that can help them cultivate some of these experiences to be more open to listen um you can't you can't make a zap experience happen or a dream happen they they're they're flowing towards us um but yeah there are other things that that you might recommend that people try you know my granddaughter said the other day uh i don't want to be a ghost i don't want to lose my body and I thought that was a wonderful insight in that she knew she was more than her body. I would lose my body, but there's a me anyway. Mm. And that would be a great concept for everybody to have. There's a me that's more than my body. Mm. Uh, and that this me can connect to things to, about my body and in my body, but also in many realms outside my body. So just that concept can be very useful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Maybe what I could add to that is how we answer the question, who am I, is really, really important because we could identify ourselves with a particular role, whether it's a parent or whatever job you happen to have or friend or brother, and then we could identify ourselves with the outcome of those relationships. I am, you know, if my kid's doing well, then I'm a good parent and and I'm okay. Uh, or if I'm a student and I've got the A on the test, then I'm good. Uh, but to identify ourselves with what we are in terms of our essence, I think is really important. And I think for me, that's why the title of the podcast is the Self-Connection Podcast, because I I feel that our our ability to return to our core essence, to to experience what we've been talking about in terms of our connection to this great life force to unconscious is is really where we find can find meaning and power and the things that can inspire us to live in form and live in our bodies with great vitality when we try to live from that place of i've got to get the results then we could lose that connection what i call lose our roots and yeah. and um and so i i, I like in terms of to consider who are you beyond your body because who doesn't have hang-ups about how they look or how their body is and that kind of thing but that's exactly the kind of um i think trap that disconnects us you know when when i say i am the form of my body and if my body looks a certain way i'm i'm no good um but rather 
what's the energy that I'm, I'm connecting to of how I use my body, of how I express myself, of how I care for my body. And those things might have to do with some deep um, yearnings of I want to express love or I want to express compassion or I want to express adventure in my life through my body. Um, so I think that's something to kind of extend on what you're saying. I can hear you. You know, what I, uh, what I think of is um, finding our way back home. Mm. So however we do it, that's why I went and looked at the little dot on the, on the wall to find my way back home. <clears throat> but there's a, a meditation we might end this section with, and it came, it was given to me by Roberto Asazoli. I don't know if you know him. He, him. Was, yeah. he made synthesis between Freud and Jung. And uh, I went yes, I have his book. Yes. yes. And oh, I went wow. to see him when he was in his 90s uh, down in Florence while I was living in Zurich studying. Yeah. <clears throat> he gave me this meditation. <clears throat> it's very simple, and I'd like to end with it. Beautiful. Let's do that. It goes like this. Brighter than the brightest sun, purer than the whitest snow. More subtle than either is the self. I am that self, that self am I. I am that self, that self am I. Brighter than the brightest sun, purer than the whitest snow. More subtle than either is the self. I am that self, that self am I. I am that self, that self am I. So that's his, his meditation that he gave me, and it was so useful. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that's the perfect place to end for today. And right. um, yeah, I would encourage everyone to consider uh, what is the essence of you. And I feel in these conversations, we've had some technical difficulties. Um, but what I appreciate in you, Laura, so much is your constant striving to be connected to your essence. And one of the things that I, I think is so important is that each of us as individuals, we have a light in us. And this is something that I learned from Virginia and her teachings, which is we can shine that light. And when we shine that light, we can inspire others to also then connect to their own light inside of them. And that's what I hope that our conversations um, can do. So. Good Thank to be you. with you.